Justin's still uh, still popping them opioids. No, I haven't had one. Okay, okay. It depends on how you're using that. I haven't had one today. Okay. I want to eat one though, like Pac-Man. What if? What if people don't have the context of why you're a drug addict now? Then they should listen to my brother, my brother, and me and advice yeah. for the modern era releasing every Monday on the Maximum Fun Network. A lot of people don't understand that there's. If you're only listening to one of these podcasts, they are you're they half are half the story. They are a codec for each other. Um, I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah, it's only the people who listen to both that can like like figure out the like Dan Brown esque riddle that exists in both universes. Because okay, I want to um, talk about Justin and his opiate addiction. Yes. Just, so Justin got his wisdom teeth taken out. Um, Addiction's a big word. He used to be addicted to having wisdom teeth. Uh huh. But we staged an intervention for him. And we pulled I all his teeth out. Anymore. Now you don't have them anymore. So Did you, you don't get all them. four taken out in one swoop. Yeah, I figure. Fuck it, right? In for a penny, in for a pound. Yep. If you're gonna go to town, you might as well go into Lincoln. Did they show you them afterwards? Isn't that some more shit? They didn't. That is, I think you have to ask specifically. I asked specifically. And what did they now, say? I didn't ask before, but I guess, uh, do they grind them into dust? Because they wouldn't go get them for mm. me. Yeah, what did they, they say that. when you asked? Uh, we don't keep those. Right. Well, the more I think about it, this might, the fact that they didn't show you your teeth might indicate that there's some sort of Jurassic Park scenario taking place. Oh, where yeah. they're just going to, yes. like, DNA the shit out of those teeth. Or uh, DNA them. Or a, a, a dino um, scientist is going to carry it around in his pocket and use it to scare chubby kids that come to his excavation site. <laughs> talk, about, <laughs> talk about what what predatory Justins are capable of in the wilds. You think they're to your left, but they're not. They're behind you, and they're biting you with their back teeth. Let's start this dumb show. Justin McElroy and I know the best game of the month. My name is Griffin McElroy and only like one good game came out this month so I know what that is. My name is Chris Plant and I know the best game of the month. Oof. My name is Ross Fresh and I know the best game of the week and month. This is the besties where we talk about the latest and greatest in sports, entertainment, news, previews, uh, video games, FIFA, football, soccer, uh, we got soccer fever here. Uh, go USA, go. Can't wait to see how far they make it. Um, and today we're going to talk about video games. June is a hot month. <laughs> it is, temperature-wise, very hot. June is a hot month, literally. Uh, but very hot. Uh, for video game releases, uh, it's been a little... It's been like that one book I read in Rainbow about the family that didn't have a lot of money. To go around tight times. So they made soup it's out of rocks. Tight, so they made soup out of rocks. It's been tight times in the video game world, but we still uncovered uh, a few gems that came out this 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 month. Of course, with E3, the whole industry kind of loses a week because no one wants to release then. And then before that, everybody's planning for E3, so there's no games then. And then after that, everyone's still drunk. So yeah. I don't want to put any games out then either. Why won't I sober up? <laughs> It's been I get three sober. weeks. What's wrong with my body? 
Um, yeah, it's been it's been bad. E three was exciting if you're a time traveler and you could just jump ahead to March 2015, when all yeah. this shit's gonna be extant. We kind of released a besties, sort of. Uh, sort we of. did. If you it, you could search that uh, you, best of E three video polygon on Google. Non canonical <laughs> besties. If you, if you miss our um, old school needlessly combative besties <laughs> i would say um that's a good fit for you because if you prefer man blood sugar to be at its all-time low when right. it comes to attitudes. well and if you want to see me get genuinely angry at the three other people <laughs> whose voices you're hearing right now uh just go ahead and uh, i had a friend who watched that and said man are you putting on i was like no they made me pretty angry that was me being genuinely angry with my my coworkers. That's, that's all in the past uh ah. The feelings now, are still there. Yeah, <laughs> it's all behind us. Let's talk about the games with June. You go get a phone. You just want a phone to talk to your friends and family. You're not asking so much. Then you get these contracts and you get ripped off because you got all this fine print little details and all of a sudden they're sucking money out of your pocket like some sort of digital leech. You know, the contract may sound good uh, up front, but there's always some sort of catch. You know who's not going to do that to you? Not going to pull that nonsense? Mint Mobile. They're wireless plans. There is no catch. $15 a month when you purchase a three-month plan. Mint Mobile's secret sauce is that they cut out the cost of retail stores and pass those savings directly on to you. You want to pay hundreds of dollars for, like, literal hundreds of dollars for your wireless plan? Or do you want to have a nice, easy solution, save some, put the bucks back in your pocket, pay 15 bucks a month? Say bye your overpriced wireless plans jaw-dropping monthly bills the unexpected overages sound familiar to get this new customer offer and get your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month go to mintmobile.com besties that's mintmobile.com besties cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com besties additional taxes Fees and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. Uh, kind of a mixed bag this month of games. Fresh Dick, uh, you've got the first one that we're going to talk about, and it is the uh, the thousandth and first Spikes game. Yep. Is that correct? <laughs> that is accurate. It is called 1001 Spikes. There's a subtitle involving this hero, but I don't remember the exact wording of it. A Thousand One Spikes is the nomenclature. Aben Hawkins and the Thousand One Spikes. There it is. Um, and A Thousand One Spikes is a platformer in the style, graphically and gameplay-wise, of like NES-era platformers, 8-bit platformers. Um, it's very, very difficult. Uh, in addition to there being A Thousand One Spikes in the game, actually, I'm not sure that that's true, but you do get A Thousand One Lives, and you will probably be using every one of those lives because you'll be dying quite a bit because the game is intentionally very hard. Uh, I would say if you played Super Meat Boy, it's a pretty similar experience, although control-wise, again, it controls more like an 8-bit era game than it does like a more modern platforming game. I'm not so sure the Super Meat Boy comparison is so on point. It definitely 100% is. Well, it's just like the, maybe like the difficulty of the game and sort of the trial and error nature of the game. Yeah, and it's a platformer. And it's a platformer, sure. And it's 2D. And it's like old school inspired. 
for me, like the the structure of the game is what sort of set it apart. Like the idea of having like a limited number of tries looming over you, like how it gives the game a sort of oppressive. Because in Super Meat Boy, you can fuck up and like sure. forever sure. and still be fine. <laughs> Not when you're in those like special. Uh, like hidden stages where you only have three attempts to get it right but like it it casts a specter over the game that i'll I'll be honest i didn't finish playing it because my like i got to this one area it's the level right after the fire levels uh like the lava levels and like i just like i hit a wall and i was playing on an airplane and so like i i spent like 70 tries on one level and yeah. I was like screw this I'm gonna do something else and when I came back to it I had forgotten all the stuff I had memorized about that level over my 70 tries and I thought like I'm just not gonna yeah you can't uh leave a level midway through you have but to I... beat it and that's like a really I, I don't like playing any video game like that whether it's like an RPG where like save points are few and far between and I know like well I've just got to you know get through this until it's done like that's just not how i play games anymore sure well let me me, i'm gonna throw down uh some some topics that i think uh you know you mentioned the live thing the limited lives and i was a little daunted by that as well but they actually have a mechanic where you just buy more lives it does seem weird with money you earn money earth money not like real world money but like in-game money I haven't found any in-game money yet. Where are you getting this money? So, uh, the the game nests a bunch of features inside. Like, there are these, like, golden idol gem things that you find in each of the levels. If you collect, like, five of those, you unlock other modes that you can play that are, like, played very differently from the normal game. Like, big, much larger levels that are not as difficult and more, like... Uh, repeatable. I played the tower. Yeah, so in the tower, the tower thing, I think it's called the Tower of Nanner. You earn money, and the money is spent in a store that unlocks once you, I think, collect a, a few more of those idols. So the store, in addition to having like, you can buy a bunch of lives for some money. You can buy new characters, and one of the things that I really liked about it, which is another yet another Super Meat Boy comparison, is that there's a bunch of unlockable characters. And they're all inspired by classic video game things. So yeah. uh, there's like an old school, like looking like a, Sel- a Simon Belmont from like Castlevania Two, and he has a whip and a throwing knife. Or I, I wasn't so crazy about the fact that each one, each character has their own standalone like campaign path. Like if you chose to play as a different character, you couldn't keep playing on the path you're playing as uh, on as as Abin Hawkins because. Like, the mechanics are a little bit different, so, like, it boots you all the way back to the start. Yeah, I think the idea was that it would encourage people to uh, sort of have a different experience getting through each of the levels. Otherwise, like, it kind of makes speedruns meaningless, because clearly you would just pick the character that... Yeah, and it also makes the levels more difficult to design. Like, if characters are capable of doing different things, how do you design... Like, this is a game where every pixel of it's like the precise. platforming challenge is is considered by the yeah. by the level so like you have to have this perfect run through it if you all of a sudden like put in a character that can hover right it then, changes the design entirely yeah, now uh, so that's the whole life thing and, and money and i don't think the game does an extremely good job like letting people know how to unlock that extra content i know uh, someone at work actually played through the whole game didn't find a single golden idol and like all the content was still locked when he beat weird the game. yeah so um, so there's that. Why I like this game, and I totally 100% appreciate why certain people wouldn't like this style of game, 
is because I mean Griffin's right. You do have to like focus and like beat a level in one sitting. But that feeling of like slowly like getting closer and closer and closer to the ending is super satisfying. It's like I feel like like for anyone that's seen Edge of Tomorrow, that's how I feel when I play this game because I'm just getting better and better and better. Mm-hmm. And granted, <laughs> you could like simplify it into like a memorization game, but you, there's still like a lot of reflexes involved and a lot of like. Oh no! Yeah, you have to have the skills to execute the moves. Right, it's that not you like a fucking like card memorized. matching memorization game. Like, right. There's, there's and, and like I like that. I like I like torture platformers. Like I. Th- I I love that feeling that I get when I do complete that. But, like, yeah. I think everybody has a breaking point. And I know that these games, this genre gets, like, way crazier. Like, I've tried to play uh, I Want to Be the Guy and yeah. uh, Cloudberry Kingdom and shit like that. Um, but everybody, I think, has a breaking point. And mine is, like, when I spend an hour on a single level knowing that I have to finish it or else I'll forget everything that I have memorized about that level... And then, like, I finally get through the string of, like, super difficult, like, millisecond to millisecond jumps and attacks that I have to do to get through something. And then I finally make it to the door. And then, like, a spike pops out from right under the door and kills me. <laughs> I'm like, that's that yeah, is no, when I, I quit. I, I, I couldn't. See, the only reason that bothers me is because of the life count. And, I mean, I know that that's a, it's a specific choice that they made and they obviously have their reasons for me, uh, I could get into like the experimentation and the constant death thing if there wasn't just that little bit of it needing to be demoralizing every time that I died. I don't understand why every single time there has to be a little bit like of that negative reinforcement. Yeah. I think it takes away from it being just like a fun... It would be funny to get all the way to the end and die, kind of. like that's, It would be kind of funny, except every time it happens it becomes a little less likely that you're going to be able to finish the game i i just don't really understand the reason well, well and they, well, they overused that that idea of like that last second fuck you like even super meat boy doesn't do that like sure. you see the exit you you get to band-aid girl or bandage girl and like you're done with the level if bandage girl like no kidding half the time in those later stages had a secret spike that shot out of the top of her head and killed you like uh-huh that just it it's that sense of satisfaction you get when completing a level is completely overshadowed by well this is just fucking annoying well yeah because that takes it from it takes it from a skill based thing to a memorization well, based thing yeah you can less, usually less see i mean you can usually see that stuff ahead of time usually the, i think the memorization thing is my issue with it and i, I think it's funny that Fresh references uh, Edge of Tomorrow, and this is going to be nitty-gritty because few people saw the movie and fewer people read the book. But the book that it's based off of is about the writer's issues with video games, that it's this sense of, wow, this is a a crazy, impossible adventure, and I am totally outmatched. Uh, And as I play through it, I'm becoming a hero and I'm saving the day, but really all I'm doing is learning patterns. And it doesn't mean I'm any better than the person I was when I started. And that's how I feel when I play these games where when I complete a level uh, or make it too far in the game, I actually feel like gross. I feel like I have been like almost learning choreography, uh, Mm -hmm. but like not performing it for anyone but myself. Uh, And then when it's done, it's like, well, why did I do that? Like, why did I learn to do this weird thing with the machine that I don't feel like I really 
gained anything from other than the fact that I like learned how to basically mirror exactly what the developer wanted me to do. Right. And I mean, you could, if that, I could see a lot of people being frustrated by what you just said. They think that's all video games. It could be like a lot of video games, but like, I think in this specific case, what puts me off is like a lot of those later levels really do require a, 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 there's like a single way really that you can get through it and there's there's I a little bit no there's a little bit of variation to sure. it like you can branch off to try and get that golden skull which will give you an extra one up or whatever but like there are levels that like at you start by like dropping into this like this tunnel of spikes and lava and fireballs and enemies that are like on a pattern that you need to like no, and there's just like the one way you can get through it, and once you get outside of that pattern, once you've started, you're dead. Yeah, it it's, feels it, to me more like reading music versus like Spelunky being improvisation, because I think there are similarities to be drawn other than them both being adventures, but like when you look at a level in 1001 Spikes, you're looking at it as this thing that I'm going to hit these marks uh, that have been preset. Uh, while I, I personally love something like Spelunky where I feel like okay, I have a general feel for what this is. I can bring what I know to kind of survive it. Yeah, I mean, they are, like, I mean, uh, in terms of Griffin not agreeing with my Super Meat Boy comparison, I don't really agree. I mean, again, I get the connection to Spunky, but they're very different. That's that's why I'm saying. Really trying to do two very, very different things. Exactly, and that's why I'm saying I like the other one. Also on Spikes, beyond just like, I, I understand where you're coming from, Chris, but... For me, the, the, the benefit or like the, the what I get out of it is that a lot of the levels are designed with a real intelligence that, that is actually sort of like fun to unearth the, the logic behind it. Yeah, it's like levels. a puzzle game almost. There's like one really great bit where um, you are – you have to get across a gap and there are these four uh, platforms and once you step on them – uh, they start falling down, and you actually have to run across the platforms, get a key, and then jump back across the platforms before they disappear completely. And the second platform, you can actually completely miss as you're going. You can hop right over it as you're hopping down the key. But if you do that, then you don't start it lowering. Yeah. And it won't, it'll be hard to get back. You won't be able to get back over. Like, uh, So you have to, as part of your the procedure... Make sure you touch that second one, or else it won't... Um, yeah, yeah. I, I like those things, and right. I shouldn't say that, that there's that's... nothing for me in these games. I think the the pleasure of games like this that are so, so specific is that you're essentially learning to think like the developer. And I think puzzle games is a similar example, I think, uh, adventure games, too, where you're learning how they think, and it's almost like uh, you're predicting... Uh, okay, it, they have a sense of humor about killing me off at the last possible second. I should always be prepared for traps at that door. Yeah, uh, right. And you start to think like they want you to think. And I think there, there's something, I mean, kind of cool about developing that kind of bond with a designer through the game. I just yeah. personally, I mean, it's it's a matter of taste. I, I just don't for, always connect. For me, like, terms. I recognize I'm just bellyaching because, like, I really did. I liked the game a lot, um, and I liked learning and, like, Specifically learning that language that the developer invented and then you have to figure out how to do it in order to survive. Like, I'm, I, I really was into that. It's just, like, it reached a point... I, I, I feel like it got so wildly unbalanced to the towards the end where they it, it almost felt like they knowingly were, like, shaving off huge portions of 
the people who were playing the game with every like set of levels that came around because like you'll play a set of levels and be like that was super fucking hard and then the next set of levels is like always twice as difficult well you should you should also note that uh the end of the game that you see on the campaign may not really be the end of the game (laughs) okay well i didn't even reach that end is what i'm saying like i hit i hit a wall and like i thought i was good at the game and i thought like i had learned how to survive in this super punishing world um and then like it it i i think i started one of the new set of levels and like bashed my head against the wall and like the first one and i was just like no i guess this is just where we part ways old friend and that was like kind of disappointing to me this is a small thing but i really don't like the two different jump heights oh i love that i love that i think that's really cool get it i think that makes me very angry i'd I'd much rather that than like an analog control of the jump height because it lets them make the essentially a very very precise platformer right why can't you tap versus hold like what because Because it's not uh, i'd rather like know for 100 percent sure what height my jump is going to be right no, I dig I, that a lot. I just there were just too many deaths that like. If you'd done a different think, jump, if I'd used a different jump, and I didn't even think, and 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 honestly, that that's something that I ran into a few times. And tell me, maybe, this might have just been my experience. There are a few things that seem like, for a game that's so much about precision and being pixel perfect, there were th- some things that seemed like kind of sketchy to me. Like, like the there were times when like flames would shoot out of the wall, and I would be uh, positive that the flames had been like extinguished and I'd still catch fire. Like I would, I was certain that I wasn't touching them. There was sometimes also with like jumping underneath uh, raw uh, blocks, uh, falling blocks where I feel like I cleared it and they still killed me. Like repeatedly. there was a little bit of that for me. Um, whenever you're on like blocks that are moving, like sometimes if that block like touches a wall that is higher than it, it doesn't even give you like a millisecond to try and jump up to that higher platform. It just knocks you right off, like underneath the block into the lava right next to you. Like there, I, I had a little bit of that, but I thought for I, the most part, it was a pretty tight. Yeah, I, I didn't have a ton of that either. Uh, maybe one once or twice here and there, but not repeatedly. Um, I really liked it, but I also get why people wouldn't really. It is for for a very very specific. Did you all kind play of on right. Vita or did you? Yeah, play on, okay. yeah, on Vita. Vita, I thought was a fantastic uh, platform for. I wouldn't like, play it on anything. I wouldn't. I wouldn't like. It's a good game to like bring with you on a bus or a train or something right. where you're going to be playing something for an hour. If like, if I were playing it on a TV, then I would not only like be strapping myself into this experience that you have to play in huge chunks if you want to get ahead. I would be like anchoring myself to my television, and like so that. So the only reason to play on a TV is that it actually um, is easier, obviously, to do uh, co-op. Yeah, which is cool. Sure, um, but, I didn't, uh, didn't mess with that at all. I, I feel uh, bad because I like my opinion of the game. I understand is not. I don't think like based on it's not qualitative at all. It's just like I was disappointed. I like a hard game, but I was disappointed at how like fucking bananas it got close to the end and if that's i mean that's what they were going for obviously like nobody there aren't many developers making games that that hard so i guess good on them i just i felt i was bummed out that i couldn't hang maybe that's a me problem maybe that's not an it problem uh griffin speaking of games with problems we got another game here that doesn't have real graphics (laughs) and i was wondering if you could tell us about it oh god 
I thought you had gotten over that. No. No. This we is talked a really a- good game. I'm, it's um that I that I actually am willing to ignore it for. It this is like I never get warm fuzzies from like a retro style of games. This one did it for me. I don't the- know if it's the semblance to link to the uh Legend of Zelda 2 or or what it was, but this one actually did trigger some sort of this, nostalgia. We're talking about Shovel Knight. Um it's oof, guys, it might be my might be my game of the year so far. I know Dark Souls 2 came out. Um and that was a really You're good high. one. Well maybe it's just because it's more recent. Shovel Knight. Um it is a <laughs> retro style platformer that um and when I say retro style, it kind of sets the bar for what that idea can be. Uh, because while it takes a lot of really cool like mechanical ideas from games like uh, DuckTales for NES and Mega Man and Zelda, um, Zelda 2, I should say, uh, it, it, it takes those mechanics, but it makes it entirely its own, and then it presents a retro experience that feels authentic. And the way that it feels authentic is by nailing all that shit, nailing a lot of like, unquantifiable like things about nes games that we loved and like still love like world design and um just sort of the tone of the game and it's not like just drenched with shitty like referential humor and like that cocktail really really does make it feel like uh an nes class i feel like that's a i don't know like a uh a trope of criticizing like retro games. Like it just feels like an NES game that n- never got released, but it actually totally does feel like yeah. a game. Yeah. From it that actually era that was well, really good. works within the restraints, which is, I think mm-hmm. the difference between those games. I mean, one, you say it, it's not referential, but two, like it has, it looks like limited number of animations. Like when a character does something, mm-hmm. the color palette looks like the actual NES color palette. Like it looks very restrained, not like, oh, well, they're using pixels, but really... Yeah. But where they actually cheat a little bit for the better is in the controls. Like, if you go back and play any of those old NES games, they do not control nearly as well as you think they do. But Shovel Knight, uh, the way, like, he moves around and stuff like that feels, like, much more modern, much more like a typical like a platformer that you'd play these days than you would back in the NES days. And that's where I think this becomes much more palatable than say like the re-release of DuckTales which was really pretty atrocious to play through because it faithfully recreated the like stiff jerky controls of the original. I I wanted to point out Griffin, uh, you had said that this feels like an NES game that, that didn't get released. Uh, and the only thing I would challenge in that is that the the it shows how like not just uh, graphics have evolved in video game design. Like this actually couldn't have been released in the NES era because there are ideas in it and like concepts that are more recent sure. uh, ideas that are being appropriated. Like the 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 best one I can think of is uh, the the death mechanic where. If you die in Shovel Knight, you die in real life. No, if you <laughs> die in Shovel Knight, you uh, lose a certain amount of your money, and it turns into, like, bags of cash that are just sort of, like, floating. And you have to make it back to the point you die and recollect your uh, cash to get the money back. Yeah. Which is... Which you get Dark one Souls. shot You get one shot to do. You get one shot at it. It's Dark Souls. I mean, it's a Dark Souls... It is an idea that we saw 
implemented in Dark Souls that is being like scaled back to a retro aesthetic. Yeah. That's like that's a heady. I, I think even smarter than that is how they've handled checkpoints. Um, which I, I realized they did a big blog post about how they handle checkpoints on uh, their blog. It's a uh, yacht yacht club is the name of the developer. Um, where like they, it was a really difficult subject for them to approach because checkpoints have become a uh, very forgiving system in modern games. Um, whether you want to call like auto saving a checkpoint or or whatever. Uh, they are much closer and much more forgiving than they were back in the NES era. Um, and, there, I mean, there's a lot of reasons for that. I mean, you could argue that we are becoming soft as as game consumers. Uh, but it was also, like, that's how they padded out the length of NES games back in the day, is by making you play through the same stuff over and over again because it was really hard, and when you died and failed, most of the time you had to start completely over. Um so how do they, like, do that while also maintaining, like, an accessibility for the game? And the way they do that is by making it's all so the checkpoints... smart. It it's so puke. fucking good. They make all the checkpoints in the game breakable. And when you break them, you get money out of them. So you can get bigger rewards from a level. But if you die and you broke that checkpoint, you have to go back to the one before it. So you could break all the checkpoints in a level. And if you die, you have to start totally over, which puts you way further away from the loot that you dropped when you died. And, and if you die on the way like, back, you lose all the money from that level and there's no way to get it back. Unless it offers you all the challenge. It offers the a bonus for people who want to ratchet a up variable, the difficulty. A variable bonus because a variable not, bonus. each section of the game is not as difficult as the other. And so like maybe a checkpoint's worth like 500 gold. Maybe a checkpoint is worth like 2,500 gold because you're about to face like a fucking super hard platforming challenge. And it does that all in the context of the game which i think is the most impressive thing about it like none of it is in a menu it is completely like you're making this decision on the flight now that being said if you like myself uh uh did have occasions where you accidentally broke the <laughs> checkpoint globe Bummer. not intending to that is a bitter pill that is okay but if you did that they, they also talked about that like how can we prevent dummies like justin from from drooling all over himself while playing the game it's they they made it so you had to hit the checkpoint three times so like if you yeah, fuck like that up but if you're auto bouncing if you do that three, three times? times though if it's a low there were a couple places where it was a low ceiling so it was hard to it just happened how okay. many opiates were you on when yeah you were, were you <laughs> some, on that, some now that, that i think about daddy's it. special some. tooth medicine um, yeah, they didn't factor that in. Maybe that should be an option. Are you on daddy's special tooth medicine? And if you hit yes on the main menu, then maybe it takes 30 bounces to break them. Um, it work. It might work, yeah. I, I just, like, it's it, it was a, actually kind of a tough game to review because, like, trying to explain how they, how they, like, made a retro game that feels authentic was really tough to do because I think everybody who makes a retro game tries to make it authentic like that is the pitch of those games like they don't make them like they used to um and and i think that that idea is a lot more difficult to explain than just like the graphics look like they did in the like late 80s early 90s like there's a feel to those games that is really 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 hard to reproduce and and they have managed to do that saying that it ends up being this like you know the nintendo game you've always wanted 
turned me off to it. Like, I, I got around to playing it because, you know, obviously we're talking about it here. But I, that has been done poorly so many times, and I've heard that praise lobbed and then been kind of disappointed so many times that I was expecting it to be like, oh, here's just another, like, generic platformer, bash things, get to the end, go to the next level. Uh, and there's just so much more depth to it. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I really do. Th- I really do think there's something to be said for the fact that a lot of those k- kinds of games try to like win easy points with fans of retro games by like having a character in there who says "I am error" or "It's dangerous to go alone. Take this," or like "I'm a plumber and so is my brother." Like Shovel Knight really doesn't do any of that, and because of that, it doesn't feel like a. a like I think in the review I used the the term love letter like it doesn't feel like a hey you guys remember this it feels like the thing that you remembered like it feels there is one level actually that I I loved and was willing to give it uh, uh, credit for there's one level that is a mansion of it's called the Hall of Champions and it's like a playable level with a kind of a cool like ghost hunting mechanic in it and in the background are pictures of people who helped kickstart the game like big big donors got their actual like pixel portraits in the game and there are characters in there who constantly make these awesome kickstarter jokes like i guess this will teach me to pay for something before i get it uh <laughs> which is which is pretty great um, um but other than that it is like i don't know it reminds it's, me of is uh where where i'd put it in in the pantheon of heroes is uh right next to rogue legacy that's a, i think that's another example of like uh, a retro aesthetic both like visually and just sort of ethic ethically retro but with like some modern ideas of like having a roguelike and and what that means um that that feels like it could have been of a of a certain time period without being too like winky yeah and referential which i hate um so. and i also think that shovel knight like created this world like both through presentation the music in the game is incredible but also like the characters there's a giant half half fish half apple called the Troupel king that will do a special dance for you and then he spits out his own body fluids that you can drink as a potion there's a goat <laughs> um mathematician that oh, you can, i love the goat mathematician is a goatician and he sells you meal tickets that you give to the cook who gives you special food that increases your health there's like a, a a moody witch that hangs out in a basement that you like give a hundred bucks to, and then she gives you like a potion mini game thing. Like the world feel like I can remember all that shit. Like I can remember all of like these what would otherwise be throwaway characters, but I remember them because they had like this identity in this crazy world where yeah. human animal hybrids existed, and like there was a town called like Armor Outpost, and it's where you got your armor upgraded. Like. I love that shit. Like that that is it is a simplicity that like those old NES games had and it's the reason we remember them is because of that like charming simplicity and they so, they like, nailed it. Yeah, willingness to be like really weird really and super kind of weird. Yeah. Yeah. Um I yeah, just I, I really it, dig it. I it's a it's a shame it's not on Mac. I had to play it at work for a little bit um and really enjoyed what I played at work but it's not on Mac yet. I know it's coming there. Um, My only qualm with the game was that the economy of it was a bit rough um, because they do have all these cool systems like the checkpoint system and the death system. And you're constantly like scouring each level for hidden areas that you can find more money in because there's a lot of stuff to buy. 
Um, but I managed to purchase every upgrade in the game with like like two thirds of the way through the game. And then the rest of it, I realized like how important those systems were because I stopped like giving a shit about them because I really had no need for for money anymore. Like I would just throw myself into a level and die and be like, well, whatever, I wasn't gonna use that money anyway. Yeah, it's tricky there because it's like, you, you don't know whether to design for like the super crazy gold collecting maniac or like a more casual player. It just feels like they meant to make a more long, like long form experience because you can play New Game Plus, which I did. Right. I've I've almost finished my second playthrough of the game, and there's not any new stuff really, yeah, to buy in New Game Plus. And so, like your New Game Plus run, like you don't have that impetus at all, and that's a huge. Right. So you're just that's going a huge the exit. Um, there's also like it, it feels like they have perfected what they have put in there, but it feels like there should be more in there. Like there's, they are going to update the game because there's some Kickstarter, like uh, stretch goal rewards that they just haven't implemented yet. Like the multiplayer battle mode and the extra playable characters. Like it feels like it needs that stuff. Um, and I mean, they'll get there. It's just kind of a bummer that it wasn't there at launch. Yeah. But if you haven't played it, seriously, pick it up. It's, it is, it's on the Wii U. It's on Wii U. It's on 3DS. It's on uh, PC. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm curious how 3DS goes. I know they said that it wouldn't have the multiplayer battle mode, but I mean that's not that doesn't exist yet, anyways. Um, so just I'm playing on 3DS. Oh, is it? I enjoyed it. Is it good? Okay. Well, just yeah. find it. I mean, I, I, I the only thing I don't like I I don't the, neither the thumbstick nor the D pad are like particularly satisfying. I've mm. been making it work with the D pad, but it's you know. I, neither of those control methods are particularly feel great for uh, a retro yeah, style game it, like this. It bums me out that it's not on Vita because I just love that D pad on Vita. That yeah, oh, would be great. That's a good, good D pad. Trish, play it. Play it on something. It, it really is. I'll say it's my second second favorite game of of the year so far, which really surprised the hell out of me. Like I did not. I did not think this was going to be the game that would like. I was in sort of a post E three funk, and this game pulled me like right out of it. Griffin, you played it on PC. Played it on PC, yeah. Does it support the PS4 controller natively? Oh, I don't know. I played through. I have a wired 360 controller that oh, I use for da. just almost. Well, I mean, it's like it's like twenty five bucks. La di da. It's like twenty five dollars. Yeah, it's really good though. I agree. Should we do some uh, post E3 feelings? Yes. How do we feel? Yes. Do we have e- this? Do we do? Do we have uh, yeah, feelings? Yeah, actually, E3 robs your feelings. It takes your feelings and it turns them into explosions and I, muscles. I did it feel w- a little bit deadened by the end it, of the week. It was, it was, let's be, let's be fair. I, I feel bad because I like, I didn't, I feel like I didn't see this. This is every E3, by the way, but I feel like I didn't see the shit that everybody was talking about. Like everybody was talking about how dope Evolve is and it looks dope, but I just didn't play it. And I think you need to do that oh, to see it. Oh, man. Um, that makes me sad. Blood, it. It blood, fun. Bloodborne. Oh yeah, looks looks dope. But I didn't get to see that presentation. The only like I spent most of my time playing Wii U stuff, which was cool. Um, like everything I played on the Wii U was really great, but it just like kind of made me more sad that the Wii U's not doing better. And I'm like completely unsure if whether like you know this stuff is going to be the stuff to to do it which I'm not going to get in that conversation again because it's the conversation that made me so angry with the three of you. Yeah, we don't need to go into like specific game feelings. I, I was more wondering how you guys felt overall about E3. Like, what? I frankly, like, 
I spend the time after I've, I've spent the time after E3 like not being too deep into into video games because I feel like I need it, it normally I would start getting excited for like the rest of the year that's what uh, E3 does for me this one and, and and I know that probably sounds weird to people who don't like work in the industry but when you deal with something every single day and it's sort of like you're the first thing you're talking and thinking about when you wake up and the last thing, blah, 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 when you stop working, you can get a little, it can all get a little mechanical. You know, you lose that sense of um, fun that you used to get from playing video games. And usually what E3 does is it kind of, uh, or it has for me, is say like, hey, this stuff's just around the corner and this is new, exciting things going on that you can get invigorated about for the future and um, here's cool stuff. And I, there was definitely some of that at E3, but a lot of it wasn't going to happen this year. Um, as a result, I found the whole thing a little a little demoralizing. It didn't really amp me up the way I was hoping for. That is a bum. I, I, there, for me, it was two things that sort of um, got my spirits down. Um, and I, I, I don't think they're down like as a whole because I really did play some exciting shit, and like I am looking forward to a bunch of stuff. Um, but the first big thing was that like. We got shit we've been working on for a long time that is nowhere close to ready. Like, EA's press conference as a whole, like, made me pretty pissed off for that exact reason of, like, we've been working on Mass Effect for a while, and here is some concept art. We've been working on Mirror's Edge 2 for a while, and here's, like, six seconds of gameplay footage. Um, This time, things will be read when you need to interact with them. Like, thanks. Thank you. That is how stuff happened. But I think the other thing is, like, I think the other big thing is just, like, there weren't that many surprises. Like, there were a few games that we didn't know about, but there just wasn't, like, at the end of the week, the stuff that you saw that turned out to be cool, you kind of, like, I thought Evolve was going to be cool already, and, like, outside of the new Rainbow Six game, which I think we all expected, I mean, we expected Patriots probably to... I didn't expect it to be as good as it was, that Rainbow Six game. That was a nice surprise, for sure. That was a nice surprise, but... And like, I thought No Man's Sky, like... No Man's Sky, but like, cool, we knew but that was going to be cool. The uh, the uh, the Division looks really cool. That looked yeah. cool last time I saw it, too. Um, the surprises yeah. were a bit smaller, like the fact that they finally showed off Dragon Age, and guess what? It actually looks pretty fucking tight. I was ready to write that game off, because they've been playing it so, so, so close to the vest... And, like, it seemed like they were trying to bury it a little bit, which was weird. Um, so that's a relief that that is shaping up to be all right. But, like... I think it's fair to say that it was a safe year. Like, it didn't feel like a lot of companies took risks. And that's sort of what you'd expect, you know, in this generate Like, where we are in the console cycle. Like, new consoles are launching. They don't want to risk, like, screwing up a franchise at the dawn of a console cycle. Um, but yeah, it makes covering it a little less thrilling because there really aren't very many surprises. I think right. my big bummer with it is I'm now pretty much convinced they know how to market a game through E3 perfectly. Like they know uh, the marketing marketing people and the PR teams and just the publishers in general have mastered the E3 demo, and that I am. I'm like happy to be excited by the stuff I see at these presentations, but I feel like it's like almost an entirely different thing than the game that we will end up reviewing. And I think Watch Dogs is like a pretty perfect example of that. Yeah, I think uh, that- and I think we've already begun to see and kind of hear about changes with what the division will be um, and EA's entire 
thing was just promises. I mean, it's like it'll be, yeah, but it'll I be the thing say, that you want it to be. Just that's you know. not for every scenario, obviously. Like for example, granted, it won't play out exactly like it was during the demo, but I think Far Cry what is it, Four will play pretty like. It'll play like Far Cry. Sure. It'll play like Far Cry. But like, no, I'm not. I'm not saying that they're all bad. I'm not saying that this means. You're, right, saying, but I don't I'm saying, you're saying that they're that, staged to a certain. Yeah. yeah. Well, not just that they're staged, but they they know exactly what to hit. They know how to make the that the special sauce. Uh, and and I think that's what both feels. It's weird because like these games. On one hand, I'm excited about them, but on the other hand, other hand, it's like eating McDonald's all week, where it's like. This tastes good, but I don't really feel like I'm gaining anything. Yeah, from it. unfortunately, that's the only way to show those games. Not true. E3. Do you know who? Do you know my best moment of E3? My highlight of E3 was the Smash Brothers Invitational. That represented like yeah. Nintendo's Nintendo's strategy, like went so far against what everybody else was doing. Of that, like here is a pre-prepared package that we're going to show like 20 people 40 different times during the show, or we're just going to like show them the same shit that we showed during our press conference because this is our message. Yay. Nintendo was like, fuck that. Like, we've been working on this game for a long time. People probably know what they're getting into with a Smash Brothers game. It's at a point where it's pretty good. Let's just, like, have a thousand people play it for 13 okay, hours. Okay, but N- Nintendo wasn't the only people that did that. Consider if EA hadn't had Battlefield leak, how crazy it would have been on the stage to be like, hey, the new Battlefield game, go home and play it today. Go home and play it. Or come to the That would have been, like, insane. It. So I, I think that, like... If, especially with the EA press conference, the reason it fell a little flat is because they were really planning for that to be their like headline, and the trouble was only having one but I'm, thing. I, but that's like that was just the one like Nintendo on their on, the, on their like booth space on the show floor, and I know that now this is only germane to people who were at E3, but like that's where I was. Like they announced games that they would then let you play for a long time down on the show. Like Splatoon was out on the show floor. Mario Maker was out on the show floor. The new Kirby Canvas Curse game or, or Rainbow Curse, which like, holy shit, I can't believe that's actually a thing that's coming. Yeah. Um, that, that you know what? That that was a surprise that E3 delivered. That was good. Yeah, good good job. Um, like Nintendo did a lot of, like seriously, all the stuff I played was really great. And I'd then not only- unfair, by the way, in the, in the regard with like respect to Nintendo. Nintendo had probably the highest percentage of uh, uh, surprises there. But just to take you folks uh, behind the curtain a little bit, the way that came about was that Nintendo actually let press watch uh, the, the, uh, the Nintendo Direct the day before the night before the night before right so as fun as it might have been for you <laughs> to see new zelda and to see kirby Im- imagine it is i i guarantee you it is substantially less fun just getting it dictated to you by a harried brian crescente <laughs> it, sli- it is slightly less it is slightly less uh uh enthusing uh when delivered maybe but that, like in we, that medium we didn't all that was like two of us that actually got to see it like actually watching no, i got it worse i got it just dictated to me by brian <laughs> i didn't get to watch well, it also at all. i, I just... don't know if you know this but it's like yeah and um, there's a new zelda and uh, oh you don't believe in it maybe uh, and she's got a, a bow yeah don't worry about it there, there might be some kirby stuff <laughs> go ask mike go ask uh, mike he watched yeah this episode of the best these is sponsored by aura frames all right so you know there are a number of people in your life that are not necessarily the most technologically savvy. I'm sure immediately names jump to your mind. 
those are the sorts of people that you would say, oh, maybe they would want a digital picture room in their house, but they wouldn't necessarily be able to like set it up and get it working and add new pictures and stuff like that. That is where Aura Frames comes in. It's a digital picture frame that allows you to basically upload any photos that you have directly to the frame. You don't need them to do any work. In fact, you could even set it all up before they even open the box. You have the account set up. You just have to connect it to their Wi-Fi. And once that's done, everything happens over the internet. So you can add new photos, you can do whatever you want, and it all works completely smoothly. I set it up for my grandmother, who's 95 years old. I set it up for my mom, who's 70 years old. And they both love their aura frames and they love seeing the pictures and new photos of the family all being added without them having to do anything. So I'd highly recommend it. I'm really, really happy with it. And right now, you can save on the perfect gift that keeps on giving by visiting AuraFrames.com. For a limited time, listeners can get $20 off their best-selling frame with code BESTIES. That's A-U-R-A frames.com, promo code BESTIES. Terms and conditions apply. Y'all, you already know how much I love our sponsor of the week, Rocket Money. They make it so easy to get your personal finances on track, especially stop worrying about all these subscriptions that you have that you don't necessarily need. Keep the ones you want, get rid of the rest. Here's how it works. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills. They'll even try to get you a refund for the last couple months of wasted money and negotiate to lower your bills for you by up to 20%. All you have to do is take a picture of your bill and Rocket Money takes care of the rest. That might sound too good to be true. I have tried it myself on multiple different monthly payments I have and it's worked, which is incredible and so much easier than getting on the phone with all these companies and trying to wrangle this yourself. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has helped save its members an average of $720 a year with over $500 million in canceled subscriptions. So cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash besties. That's rocketmoney.com slash besties rockamoney.com slash besties i still don't know like i think nintendo had those surprises like that if there was one thing that left me excited it was it was that idea that there are there are some really good games coming to this platform that like i was totally ready to write off um and now I'm like, I, I'm like excited I that just, I have one again. I just don't I know just, if it's enough. I think that it's just the latest indicator, and there have been a lot of these. I think it's just the latest indicator that the thing, things that are going to be really exciting about the video game space are not going to be coming from people who are going to E3. That's not where the cool stuff's going to show up. That's not where the exciting games are going to show up. That's not where the surprises are going to come from. Um, I feel like it's getting increasingly sort of antiquated. Uh, where are they going to come then? From the from the underground, from the from the people who aren't paying for booths, from the people who yeah, but even in like yeah. mid range budget stuff, it's happening That's on PC. Thing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, and PC, PC is, is not represented in E three. No, yeah. I don't know. I think there's still uh, like I don't know. That's the thing. I like I don't know. I didn't play. I didn't play like 
that new Rainbow Six game. Like, I didn't play like a lot of the shit that people came away from the show talking about how. Okay, sweet but like, it think was. about the things that have. Think about the things that have excited you over the past six months, maybe about video games, right? Very few. I. I here's a few that like I know that I've gotten excited about. Rust was very cool. Uh, Shovel Knight, just to use like a more recent example. Uh, uh, that Dark Room game that I played, Bounden, is is another cool one. Like. And none of those did I hear about from E3. It's coming completely from word of mouth and like bubbling up from people's blogs and yeah. Twitter feeds and whatever. It's it's just not like next year. I would be surprised if we sent uh, nearly as many people. You're already seeing outlets scale way back on the number of people. Yeah, but we'll have to send to. we'll have to send twice as many people because every game next year will be a multiplayer game. There will not be a single thing. I think. That is left I think. Single player. If anything, this E3 has made me realize that I should stop using E3, and I think we all should stop using E3 as a barometer for where games are. Like I used to treat it like that. I used to treat it like, oh man, nothing, nothing's come out. Yeah, like nothing's come out in the last like couple months has got me really excited. I really need something to like show me that games are like what to look forward to. Like. Get, get me like psyched about where games are at. And I don't know that like as, as diverse as gaming platforms are becoming um, and as like as many game developers are sort of like s- spreading their their seed out there, like I don't know that E3 is like, it, it can do that to a certain extent, but I don't, like, I don't know that it's the end all be all Zoe anymore. Quinn is working on an FMV game, like starring Greg Sestero. Like, what? Yes, Griffin. So, like, sorry, E3, you have a long way to go for a year nearly as exciting <laughs> That's great. as that. I will say that I spent one of my, like, better, like, few hours I spent at E3 was actually at the little, like, weird Devolver Village, um, which was, like, around the corner from, from our studio where we were shooting all of our video stuff. Um, where I got to play, like, Hot on Miami 2, which is hot as shit. I got to play that Titan Souls game. That game is really good. That game is so, so good. If you guys didn't see the video we did where we had them come in and play it with us, it's, a, like, a demade Shadow of the Colossus. They were also showing off, like, a pigeon dating game. <laughs> like, yeah, that, it was definitely that, that Devolver parking lot felt like an Alterna E3. And they also had, cool. like, a little um, IndieCade, like, area in in one of the halls i will say it was like the quietest e3 i've ever been to both in terms of like actual volume and also like there were huge chunks of the like halls where there was just like Uh, that's also like pulling back the curtain on that they've decided basically to move all the demos inside a booth now uh i guess to control who can see things or just how crowded and busy things get or you know maybe to optimize the experience but it was I was shocked how few things were actually out and available on the floor for people to play. For the most part, yeah. you had to talk to PR and go behind some Sony had doors. a ton of demos. Sony, I mean, like, Sony's Microsoft and Nintendo are always going to have that. And sure. Sony's show floor was almost entirely indie games. Like, they had... Sony's show floor was, like, a, a huge open area with, like, these long rows of, like, open rooms sort of surrounding it. And those rooms would be, like, the, you know, Little Big Planet 3, which I can't believe I've forgotten to mention that up to this point. Looks pretty tight. Um, and, you know, they had, like, a Bloodborne booth, and they had uh, one for the Killzone DLC. Like, they had their, like, first-party stuff there. But most of the, the actual, like, exposed show floor area of their booth, which was humongous was just rows and rows and rows of indie games like james jamestown plus and 
they had a <laughs> they had a bunch of Minecraft, which I felt bad because nobody was playing it because it's like it's Minecraft, Minecraft guys. We we got it. <laughs> but they also had like uh, Hell Hell Divers, um, just like a bunch of stations. Binding of Isaac on Vita. Binding of Isaac on Vita, like a bunch of like that was pretty refreshing to me. Just yeah. to put a pin in this, um, uh, I, I don't want people to think that we're like. I think a lot of times being jaded about E3 can come off as being jaded about video games. The exact like, opposite. I don't, I, I don't feel that way at all. Like, video games are awesome. There's so many crazy, weird, oddball, like, video games that are being made and released by one, two, three, four, five-person teams. Like, I, 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 I am not in any way, like, down on video games. And it is solely about e3 and i know that if you're somebody who's like always wanted to go to e3 or something that that may come off as like i don't know like gross cynical jaded journal stuff but just from my perspective the exciting things that are happening aren't aren't happening there right now to me for me personally i don't i still think i mean there's definitely you You could said as much i mean like you can you can apologize for but like that's not the and the show may get to that point, but like that's not the show it is. It, right it all comes down to like I think if you're one person covering the show, you can fill your your schedule the entire week with seeing nothing but cool shit. It's just the nature of how we like and and most outlets cover this thing is we send a bunch of people and then you get you know different things, so you get like a, a pretty wide array of stuff. And it felt like this year you had to work a, just a little bit harder to like. A, find, like, playable shit because there were a lot of, like, theater presentations, hands-off stuff for games that are coming out in, like, October. Um, And also to, like, find stuff that got you, like, just excited. Um, So, like, I don't know that it's... It's 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 hard to talk about because you're talking about, like, the the entire, like, ecosystem of E3. Uh, Because there is definitely, definitely cool shit to see. Um... But it's just like the the entire bubble felt a little more insubstantial. Cool. Cool, cool, cool. Is there not oh. any news that we can talk about? No, I mean, E3 was the news section, which is fine. This really, there hasn't been anything. Let's talk about this fucking Hearthstone thing. Oh, uh, yeah, we can talk about that. There's this Finnish tournament led by the Finnish Assembly that is only allowing entrance in the Hearthstone tournament to dudes. And here is the reason, is that it, the original reason that uh, the head admin of the Assembly Summer 2014 Hearthstone qualifier told the publication, in accordance with the uh, IS, IESF tournament regulations, since the main tournament event is open to male players only, this is to avoid possible conflicts, e.g., a female player eliminating a male player during round of eight, among other things. What does that even mean? What are you talking about? Apparently, if a, if a female player beat a male player, there would be outrage and tables flipped and people would just question why, why they're even alive at this point. That's it, the I, dumbest. That's I, the I don't, dumbest and worst. They have separate. I was also reading this. So there's separate tournaments for male and female, which is crazy to me. Right, because like, when you beat the when a female wins the female tournament, there's not like another female like tournament on the ladder higher up for them to move up to, is there? And and for the men, for that case, like, why is there? Why is it even separated? I, don't I thought know. all of these. Okay, so 
so here's the thing. I think this is stupid and dumb and wrong. There's precedence for it. And uh, dumb, in, stupid, wrong shit also. No, no, no. There, no. There's precedence for it in the world of chess. Uh, and in the world of chess, uh, there aren't many um, women players. And so the, the rise of uh, female leagues uh, in chess has largely been to promote, promote growth. Sure. Growth and like put more of a focus on women players. The difference being the key difference, I think, and the one that like is so sort of sketchy in this case is that it doesn't preclude women from participating in in chess tournaments. That that I think is when you. So essentially there's a women's only tournament, but there's no men's only tournament. Correct. Right. Which, I mean, sure. let's be honest, sounds like uh, kind of an imbalance for us dudes, huh? Oh, God. Uh, right? Jesus, please. Uh, it's, I'm, it's a satire. It's it's, it's a parody. It's a parody it of those. Uh, it does suck. And this is so stupid. Like, even if you're not, like, even uh, you have to be pretty deep down the MRA rabbit hole to not see that this is ridiculous, right? And like, it's, it's also Finland, which I thought was a pretty, like, Thought I thought you were know. cool. I thought we were cool. I thought they were a cool group. I thought we were, thought we were buds. Yeah, I guess I don't. I don't want to judge all of Finland based on one. But I will watch me do it. Tournament. <laughs> um, uh, but it's outlandish. Yeah, it sucks. Yeah, there was a time actually. I remember historically when Finland was in the grips of war. Okay. If only there was a game to recreate that moment. Oh boy. Oh, <laughs> Heavy. Uh. I don't know if Finland was in World War One. <coughs> they were probably involved in some way. It was the uh, World War, Justin. We were all soldiers. We were all on involved that, in different on that ways. Day. Uh, Valiant Hearts is a game about the First World War, and it is a game. It is a war game in which you are not explicitly tasked with killing people. <laughs> Which makes it very different from many war games. Um, many, many games. Mm, also, not not true. You kill uh, yeah, quite I a few people pretty early. I said you are not specifically right. tasked. Right, if you happen to kill people in your travails, so be it. When do you kill people? Like, when you what about that time at the very beginning when you blow up a bridge full yeah. of people on it? They, they, they all run away. They all, they run away. Oh really? Mm-hmm. Yeah, they they go to great lengths to, to show so it's you like specifically. The Lego like even games. when you blow up a tower or whatever, it shows the people like jumping out of the tower. I'm not saying that you never kill people, but like sure. that's not the main thrust of the game. That Mostly. almost seems disingenuous. Like okay, to make oh, it well, like a cartoon. That, well, yeah. Maybe, like, just that, that might work. Yeah, sorry, sorry, I'm I'm being um, a jerk. The the uh, so you you play it's sort of a branching narrative that that tells a few different stories in parallel um and by and large the the people that are profiled in valiant hearts aren't war heroes per se in the traditional sense that we think of them they're they seem to be sort of everyday people that are bringing their own baggage to the war and uh their own reasons for being there telling their own stories uh and the game is mainly told through sort of a puzzle mechanic um similar to like what you'd seen in an adventure game uh, where you find, you know, the right item to use in a specific uh, scenario, interspersed with like some more arcadey type uh, bits. It is so, I think, refreshing to play a game that we have so many games that glorify 
violence and uh it, it for me is really refreshing to see a game that deals with war in a sort of very human way um one of the most interesting things uh about the game for me and i think this is a real your mileage may vary not everybody be into this uh there are uh in each level there are facts that pop up that you can read uh interspersed with each of the levels that provide like actual historical context about what you're doing in the area that you're in like what the reality of the war was like for people in that time period um and as such i think i i feel like playing valiant hearts gives me a better idea of like what the actual experience of being in this war was like so much better than in a first person shooter where i'm basically just you know mowing down the bad guys or whatever more so uh, more so even really interesting more so even, I think, than Assassin's Creed, which does sort of a similar thing with, like, if you come across, like, a famous building or they talk about, like, a famous person that actually existed during that era. I never read that supplemental information because, like, it's just not super interesting to me. What Valiant Hearts does is it breaks it down into, like, topics. So it will talk about, like, um, like trench warfare, like, what that was like. It talks about chlorine gas and how it was utilized and, like, the crazy shit that soldiers did to survive getting bombed by chlorine gas, like peeing on rags and tying it around their faces. Yeah, like, it's, it's almost like a museum exhibit, but rather than like a diorama or a video that's playing alongside of things, like you, the game is the AV component. And, I, and because you're actually like experiencing chlorine gas, for example, and like right. what its effects are. And I learned, like I learned shit, which I'm not sure I'm comfortable with. Yeah. yeah, but I got like actual brain smarts put in my head in a way I think that I like. It's called edutainment. I enjoyed, yeah, but it didn't like. It's I don't know. Clearly it, labeled. It, yeah. it, right, it's dangerous. Information is dangerous. I, yeah, yeah I felt the same way about Oregon Trail thirty years ago. Well, so. How do you say that name of that state again? Oregon. Okay. Like Polygon. Sure. Uh, yeah, I agree with everything you've said. I, I, I would note also, though, with all that in mind. I don't think it's a very good game, quote-unquote game, like, as a standalone, like, if you took all the historical stuff out of it. I mean, it's it's interesting. I, like, I was really digging learning stuff, but as an adventure game, I don't think it really pushes any boundaries. It's pretty straightforward. I don't... Would you agree? No, I don't agree at all. I, I think that it does some actually some really clever stuff. Like, if you think about it as almost like a side-scroller adventure game, which is what it is. You don't have, like, a full plane that you can move around sure. on. You have a very limited, like, scope to do everything in. And so um, with that in mind, you would think that, like, the solutions to the puzzles would be very difficult, but actually it just sort of broadens what an adventure game puzzle can be. A lot of it, it comes down to, like, the interpretation of symbols, whether that is, like... There's, there's no, like, written dialogue in the game. You'll just see, like, a speech bubble pop up with some sort of symbol in it. And then you have to sort of identify... It's not a sim... I mean, it's like a blimp, a picture of a blimp or, like, a wine bottle. It's pretty obvious. No, uh, well, not always. Like, there's one puzzle where you have to toss a guy dynamite, um, but then, and there's different numbers of dynamite bundles. Oh, and he yeah. has, like, his symbols are just, like, he'll just say the number 232. And sure. you have no idea what that means. But you're on, like, a pretty limited 2D plane. Like, everything you need is in eyesight. There's no, like, obtuse solution waiting for you. It just comes down to deciphering what what the game wants from you in any given situation. I actually, I like that a lot more than some some more recent adventure games that have come out that do adhere to that, like, 
give the rubber chicken to the pilot and yeah he's i don't think that's certainly it. not something i'm applauding either like i'm not looking for super vague like no obtuse. i'm just saying that this is a way for them to get around it and i thought it was a really clever system that made the game like super accessible for me sure um, yeah i i there i'm so mixed on the game there's a lot i really like i like uh what Justin talked about with the uh, historical facts. It reminded me of another game that I think most of us liked, which was Call of Juarez Gunslinger, mm-hmm. uh, which had these like bits of information pop up or be discoverable throughout the game. Uh, but what I liked about that game is it kind of drew a line between the fiction of the game and these uh, bits of information that you were finding where it's like, hey, everything you're doing is wacky, but here's the real deal. Here's what really went down. Um, and what I kept running up against with this game was the issue of tone, where I didn't know what I was supposed to be feeling. That, like, it's a goofy cartoon, and like you guys are describing, they go out of the way for people not to die. But at the same time, like, then there'll be a bombing, and you'll see, like, the entire uh, background littered with dead bodies. Or or even, like, the puzzles. So, like... Um, oh, finding the bone. On. Early on, there's the moment where it's like you escape from a bombing, you're a POW, you've got a big spoon, you're like digging through the ground with the big spoon, avoiding like unexploded shells in like a 2D space. And it just felt kind of goofy in comparison to like, obviously, reality's force. So it's it's a weird dichotomy where it's like they want to tell this, these true stories of these true people, but also it becomes like this outlandish like not realistic but why scenario. not that's why not do that like, i don't think that it's less is that actually less true to war than call of duty is i mean is that actually oh, like a worse representation so i i think this is a, a much better rec- like representation I, I like seeing people experimenting and like doing these things i i think it is more of like we're in the growing pain stages of okay, we want to make games about real serious things. We have very minimal experience doing that. How do we do that without having the goal be shoot as many people in the face? And how do we get tone right in a video game? Because, you know, you're playing. And how do we make sure that, you know, who's who's the audience with this game? You mentioned that it felt kind of like a museum exhibit, and I think that's pretty dead on because it feels like something I would see at, like, almost like a children's museum that is Mm -hmm. trying to explain, like, a very, very serious topic like World War I to a really young audience that might have trouble dealing with the complexities of it. Uh, and, and I think that's great. Like, I, it, from that angle, it actually makes me appreciate the game more. Um, but yeah, I, I, I think the other problem for me, though, is I don't feel like people are f- always finding, designers are always finding a gameplay hook that matches the actual idea or the setting. And I think, like, throwing mm-hmm. a gun at it has been a like the solution for a long time for most developers and i think right after that is the throwing kind of puzzles that if you stripped away the setting could be in any game right. uh what i look at like is, uh, that game coming out about uh my own war or whatever it's called about the uh people who are civilians and during a war that i think is happening in, like eastern europe uh the idea of using like tower defense basically as a, a representation of oh we have to go get resources and then we have to protect ourselves uh, when when we're home at night like that feels like a match I, I get why those two are connected but I 
don't always understand why the puzzles exist in this game other than having something to do. I think um, a lot of them are based around like giving the characters identity, right? Like it, the Freddy guy, the American big like beef tank fellow is almost always about like blowing shit up and knocking shit down um, while while the other characters have their like areas of expertise and I think that stuff lends itself to like some really great and like surprisingly super fast character development by like level two you are like the plight of these characters are are so like established at that point well like you, not if you're Chris Plant who had some trouble following <laughs> story which one uh, you were like, wait, no, that guy's French. Why is he on the German no, that side? that was at the very beginning when I was trying not to make you feel bad because I come from a French heritage and you come from a German heritage and we all know. Oh, um, yeah. I, it's an interesting point about the tone, Plant, because you know what I, my uh, takeaway, like what what I got from it was the um, a lot of our best fiction about war has highlighted the absurdities of it. Um, I'm thinking here specifically of... Uh, uh, like Catch Twenty Two, for example, or Slaughterhouse Five as or well. Slaughterhouse Five is another is another example of like the most honest representation of war is is probably not like the high wattage action of uh, uh, like Call of Duty, but it is also not completely sorrowful, and it's not like Papers Please. You know, it's probably something closer to absurdity like because it, it is the 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 uh layering of these very absurd things that are hard for humans to process like the death of millions of people and, th- and things like that and i think having an absurd tone is not all that far off from uh representing uh warfare oh i i agree do you think this game has an absurd tone i never got that i think it's playing pretty straight I mean, like, I, I, don't think, I think you're it has digging not... holes with a giant spoon, and there is a puzzle where you have to make hot dogs. Yeah, but I don't think that. I I honestly don't think when they were doing that they were like, oh, this is a real yuckster. I think it was like you're making food and it's a cartoon. I don't know that absurd absurdity has absurd to elicit yucks. It just well, I like... guess I don't think it, I don't think that was intentional. I, I, don't I think, think it that entirely was. was. I think absurd. I, I, I think it was just meant to be banal. I think so much of the game is like, look at these people doing this like either weird or like totally everyday shit on a battleground where millions and millions of people are dying. It, it, but that, that isn't necessarily humorous as much as it is like it, it establishes a, a different tone that I don't think any video game has ever really used when broaching the subject, you know? Oh, I, yeah, I, I agree. I, just think I think it's, I think there's a pretty significant difference between Catch-22 or Dr. Strangelove and like what they're going for. I think... I, I don't know. I, I think it is not especially helpful to like take any one of the game's mechanics and stripping it out and saying like, well, why did they do it this way? Because like you can't just take the educational element and say, well, that why did they do this and take the puzzles and say, why did they do that? Like it is a, it is a comprehensive package, and I I just I think it's so like wildly original in in almost every sense, both in like presentation. Uh, how they've used the UBR framework, how they have like adapted the like puzzle adventure game to a side-scrolling 2D idea, but also like how they talk about how they talk about like the situations that war puts you in. Like it, it is, it is a it's it's a bundle. 
it's like a whole thing. And I think it's really, really successful with all the parts, you know, working together. And and it does, you know, World War One is a reason why it has never really been hit upon in games for the most part. It's a pretty awful war. It's uh, not what you would quote unquote call a fun war. No, uh, that game, to say, like, the shooting game would be like you hiding in a trench and like right. shitting on yourself. Right, exactly. Which and, is like, why there haven't really been any World War One uh, war games. Well, also, it's incredibly um, complex and the US's involvement in it is hazy for most people. Yeah, okay. Again, I'm talking about like as <laughs> yeah. the, you know, potential gameplay mechanics. But this does do two things rather well, which is teaches you something and makes you feel engaged with the events that were going on for a period of time that I think most people aren't super familiar with. So, I, I you know, overall, I think it's a pretty um, yeah. impressive feat. I think it's very good. I just think, I think it's fair to recognize that in terms of video games that are trying to do these things, we are at the early stages. And there's a reason yeah. this is the first one that's doing it. And that's why I'm being critical, because... We can compare it, and some people will say we can't, but against what other memes have done with these topics, and we are at early stages. But it's very exciting. I would, I will take a million uh, of, you know, shots like this over more shooters. Um, and it's not because those like are necessarily. It's not because those are necessarily bad. It's just like we've done them. We've done them. It's a, It's almost only what we've done. Yeah. And on top of it, I don't feel like there is uh, a lot of ambition in terms of the topics that are being covered anymore by shooters. So on top of us having seen a million of them, uh, it's not a place that I go to for uh, a deep look uh, and a thorough explanation of the history of World War One. Sure. Go to my grandpa for that, my pop-pops. Pop-pop. Tell me about him. My dad, my pop pop was in the pixel junk wars. <laughs> <laughs> there were so many fluid dynamics, I could hardly keep track. Oh, boy. Uh, Guys, you want to hear about pixel junk shooter? Yeah, do it. Super yeah, I remember playing. Don't be a, a snob about it. I'm not gonna, I like this uh, game. Okay, so I don't know why I'm talking about. This, I know what you're Fresh wondering. Going to tell home. you about how great. Why it is. are we talking about pixel junk? Okay, so shooter again. It came out 130 years ago. Pixel junk shooter came out a long, long time it's ago. It's in Valiant Hearts. I they play in Valiant. <laughs> you see a kid with a stick playing Pixel Junk Shooter. I my pal Pixel Junker. Um, <laughs> it is a 2D uh, shooter. You fly around this world, though. I guess your character is 3D now, and there's real fluids. Um, <laughs> gross. <laughs> But, Are there? Yeah, but anyway, you're you like shoot little monster things, and yeah, and you, you save humans, and you use fluids to get through the the space. It, it it's a very fun arcadey type of game. And there's also Pixel Junk Two, which is included in the package, uh, and that's kind of the same, but also has these like two D auto scrolling stages. Um. And, and Freshick likes it a lot. It came out a, a long time ago. It's a little bit better now, but you can play it on PlayStation Vita, which is what I recommend because, like 1001 Spikes, it's one of those things that uh, you might get frustrated with at times, and the best place to play a game like that is on a long commute. Okay, I'm going to talk about why I asked us. Yeah, because you this. demanded that this game... I yeah. demanded it. Not that there um, was... Not that there was... The multiplayer competition. Yeah, okay. We had some difficulty. Um, so the um, 
the reason I asked for it to be included, and, and Plant didn't play enough of the multiplayer to really comment, but there is a multiplayer mode that I think is one of the most original multiplayer modes that I've played in a long time. Um, it's asynchronous. It's sort of a stealth s soccer blend uh, or capture the flag mm. blend where like there's two ships and you've got like a cone of vision when you're on defense. And if you spot the other guy, did you mean asymmetrical visible. earlier? What? You said asynchronous and there's no yeah. way that's right. Oh, did I say asynchronous? I meant asymmetrical. Sorry. Too many A's. Um, it's very difficult to put to words, but it's, it's an inc incredibly well-made, thoughtful uh, multiplayer mode that I think has been all but ignored, even by people that, like, downloaded this game and played a ton of it, just because, like, a lot of people, you know, this co-op in the campaign and stuff like that, and that's enough for people, they don't really want an adversarial multiplayer game, but this, uh, they just made, like, a really creative, like, dual-screen uh, just like each player is seeing very basically there's one map and the person who is hunting it's 1v1, is trying to stop the imagine. person from getting humans and the person who is being hunted is invisible until they're in a cone of vision and they grab humans and try to throw them in their goal and each character has like a few special weapons like the ability to invert the direction of the other players controls oh that's uh, neat it's or, neat. like, change water to lava, or have, like, homing rockets. There's, like, a ton of different upgrades you can buy. Um, it, the learning curve is, like, not super friendly, just because it's I beat fresh pretty complicated. Is this played... new to Ultimate? No, actually, it was in... Is any of this new? Uh, no, the graphics are new. It looks very pretty. Okay. Uh, it was in Pixel Junk Shooter 2, but it was wholly ignored in Pixel Junk Shooter 2. Hardly anyone played it. Um, so this seems like a good that opportunity. Proud tradition. <laughs> this iteration. <laughs> no, I, I've actually been playing it a lot more now that it's on Vita, which I think is is where I want to play basically everything nowadays. Um, but yeah, we can't talk about like Tomodachi Life or WildStar or. Uh, you could talk about the Resties. You can like we have plenty of. I'm sure other people love those games, and we're going to talk about them there. I just wanted to like call attention to this mode that I thought was really cool that clearly no one else thinks is cool so can you play it online yes it's an online actually it has to be online because if it was split oh that screen, makes sense yeah you could see you the would other see the other person's screen cool. okay yeah go for it just find you one can actually other play human it. that is playing this game and you're off to the races you could actually play it with a v one person on vita and the other person on ps4 oh that's cool in the same room they just can't be looking at the big screen and it's it was uh playstation plus right but that's over now. well yeah not anymore as of today it's yeah. out Fucking so. Tower falls up on that though. Should, should yeah, Tower falls up next. So, um, can we just spend like some time talking about those two other games? Let's do like a mini wrap up that will include. Why don't we do Resties? Pixel Junk guys, listen, don't don't turn to Resties for savior. They all say pixels. <laughs> they all say uh, no. Just kidding. Uh, Shovel Knight. <laughs> oh really? Yeah. I'll Everybody says Shovel Knight. Knight. Okay. Uh, to just to. Uh, a few others. Jake said he likes Action Button's new video game, Tuffy the Corgi and the Tower of Bones. It's a really great deconstruction of the basic platform mechanic of turning around in midair. It's a rad little game. Jeremy likes Sniper Elite 3 because he's a broken person deep down <laughs> inside. He said it's fun to shoot dudes in the face in slow-mo. Jeremy, get help. <laughs> Michael says his favorite game of the month isn't technically a game. It's the Resogun Heroes expansion. Completely oh yeah, that's really neat. That was exciting cool. title gave me an opportunity to give the developers some well-deserved money. And Demolition Motors is deceptively deep strategic experience that I can't stop playing. And finally, Christopher says, 
it's it would be more relevant for May, but it's close enough. I've been playing the Star Citizens first real playable demo. Uh, the Arena Commander module. Not really a full game, but the first piece of playable tech and the biggest crowdfunding game ever. I think it's pretty newsworthy. Did you, yeah. any of you guys back it or had a chance to play with it? Anybody? No. no. I'm, I'm, I don't that's the thing. talk about it. That's about as far as I get. I'm excited, but I, I want to wait until it's more substantial like this one part might be pretty cool but like i don't want to i'll get burnt out if i just like every time something comes out i play it extensively and then when the full game launches i'm like well i don't want to play that i already spent hours and hours dipping into that you know i'm I'm curious whether i'm going to enjoy it as much if i don't play it with a flight yoke i don't know you better get yourself a yoke bro i gotta find my yoke again get yourself a get yourself a mad cat's yoke (laughs) um I'm going to talk about Tomodachi Life in Wildstar, and you guys can come along with me if you want. Okay. Okay. But um, have I have any of you played Tomodachi Life? No. no. Nobody. Wildstar. Juice, I know Briefly. you got it. Did you I play played it? Wildstar. I played a little bit. Okay. Um, of those two, Wildstar is the one that I'm going to probably continue to play. Tomodachi Life um, is is I mean it's a it's like a simple wacky life sim and i think it was sort of pitched when it came to the states as if you like animal crossing you like this um which is i believe pretty uh wrong on every conceivable level because while animal crossing had that hook of like uh like crazy amounts of customization for yourself your town you had like total agency over the world and it was very compelling to like find a new table um because of like how it would help you create a theme for your house. Like that stuff was so, so compelling. Tomodachi Life doesn't really have any of that. It is mainly just like a way for you to put yourself and your friends into wacky situations like me and Justin and Travis and a monster I made named Gordon Krampus started a hip hop group. <laughs> and we would do a hip hop cover of uh, Seal's Kiss from a Rose. Um, like that, that stuff was really great and it's really entertaining and it was really funny whenever stuff like that or like the, um, like hundreds of weird events, like you stalking somebody in town for no reason. Um, it's really funny when stuff like that happens, but like, I haven't really played it that much, um, after I finished my review cause it doesn't have those hooks. And I think the a sim game needs to have those. What does Tamadachi mean? It means friend in oh, Japanese. Friend life. Friend life. Yeah, sure. I think what does Tamagotchi mean? mean? That means virtual friend who poops. Virtual friend who does poop. That's great. Um, Wildstar is so so good. I, I, I have a hard time talking about it because like, I want to pitch it to people who don't play MMOs, but it is the most MMO-ass MMO <laughs> probably ever. Well, the combat, yeah. I think, is the thing that set it as Combat's really cool. It, it is sort of like a hybrid between the action ideal that games like Neverwinter and, and um, I mean, there were games Elder before. Scrolls. Elder Scrolls, sure, where it's, it feels more like <clears> an action game. But it, it falls somewhere between that and World of Warcraft, where you have like cooldowns and hot bars and um, stuff like that. Where is basically- that weird that there's cooldowns on the hot bar? Yeah, it's weird. <laughs> it's like the uh, BLT of game mechanics. <laughs> uh, but it feels like combat feels really satisfying. Every attack is telegraphed by this like big red field on the ground, so you have like a way of getting out of the way, which makes things move. With like yeah, a really, really like crazy that. fast pace from even like early on. Like that is a, the idea of like telegraphs and big 
like fights is usually saved for like end game stuff in MMOs, and this is like from the very beginning. It's something you have to like learn how to do. Um, but I mean, like character customization is really great. Um, the world is enormous and really interesting. Like all the areas have very unique feelings, and and there's also like the best player housing system, like ever. It, it, I played Star Wars Galaxies. No, it's, it's pretty good. It's way way better than I that. had an R two T two. Did you? An R two D two? No, I, did, I didn't pick that one up. <laughs> That's what his um, like you can play as an architect and you can play like you can pick up like a wood cutting job and then like go around cutting down trees so you can go to your crafting station and then make a chair that you can like scale you can make it an enormous chair or a little <laughs> chair um and then drop that in your plot that you can customize with like a garden or a farm you can do farming and then cook that stuff up in an oven that you've placed in your in your area um, you can like change every single element that you can put in the house to like totally remix it. So I can make like a rope fence, and instead of using it as a fence, I can make it huge and like make r- it like r- a remix. You can make it like a big rope that hangs from from the wall. Like you have so much freedom to do stuff. There was a Penny Arcade posted uh, one like somebody that they knew took all the furniture and made it really little and made a dollhouse inside of their house with like real furniture that they just shrank down. Um, and it has like an effect on your character, like it increases your experience gains if you like chill in your house that you have stuff in. It can give you like temporary buffs. Like it's a really, really addicting, really clever let me, system. Let me talk to you about MMOs. Like the impression that I get because as someone that played an MMO for six months, World of Warcraft, back in 2000, blah, blah, blah. Uh, I feel like you can't play an MMO and play other games. Do you think that's true or false? Um,. I mean, it is definitely, they're definitely time sinks. If you want to think about it in terms of, like, raw hours that you put into a game, then sure. Like, when I was, I, I think it can be a game that you only play. Yeah. Um, just because of the content and the, like, grinding and the loot cycles that exist in, in basically every MMO. Like, it can be the only game that you play, yes. Also, um, I think friends, if you are playing with people or you start at the same time as people, yeah. that can be a huge motivator. That can be a really, real. really big draw. Yeah. Um, but I think uh, I think any MMO you can play and play other stuff as long as you are, like, responsible about it. Like, I think, like, Wildstar, I've been taking, like, a two-week break from um, checking out other stuff, but I can pretty easily hop in. One of the things that Wildstar does that, like, a World of Warcraft doesn't is in, in WoW, you can have, like five hot bars stacked on top of each other with like 40 abilities on it that you have to like remember what they are and how you use them in combat especially in like a raid scenario where like millisecond to millisecond you have to know which abilities to use or else everybody will die and get angry at you like that's a really stressful situation that requires you to memorize everything you're capable of in wildstar you can only have like eight abilities active at any given time um so you have to like specialize, but there's never like any confusion as to like what you can do. You know what you can do. You know how you specialize. You can switch those out at any time, uh, but when you're like in a big fight, you got just the eight. So there's yeah. like you don't really have to spend a lot of time memorizing it, and it makes it a lot easier to spend time away from the game and then come back to it um, because like you don't have to rememorize this giant workstation of buttons that you don't know what they mean anymore. I, I, I've been really, really, really enjoying my time with the game. And it's the first MMO I've played probably since WoW. I, get, I got kind of in a Neverwinter um, that I, I could see myself playing for, for some time now. Not on Mac. 
What is what is? Do you not own a gaming PC? I do not own a gaming PC. Mm. What? Okay. I thought that was long established. Yeah. I, I guess I just forgotten. You should. Is this coming to PS4? Uh, Wildstar. Am, am I? Yeah. No. Am I completely? No. No. There's no. I am. That that would be the only thing that could could maybe get me into an MMO is playing it on console. I feel like. That oh, Elder Scrolls Online is still, yeah. or even like Vita, an MMO on Vita, I would get into. I mean, you can remote play like you can remote play Final Fantasy fourteen. Yeah, that's true. Um, no, I think that could work. Um, because just because you have like a pretty limited slate of actions, like you don't have to have a bunch yeah. of stuff. And I just want to be chatting. I don't want to type. It's like work. Mavis Beaton, screw you. Mavis, Mavis Beacon. Beacon, come on, say words right. Anyway, sorry, I took a bunch uh, of opiates before. That's <laughs> that's the whole show. Um. I don't. I, I think we talked about everything. It's a light month, and listen, guys, July's not going to be any better. If you got any ideas for stuff we should talk about, no, I July, have an idea. Why don't um, we do the thing that I was talking about earlier? I think that's a great idea. I forget what your thing was. Where we all pick a classic game that that person has not played yet, and then come bring it to the table. Because the whole point with this new format is that we'd played all, like we'd all played everything. Yeah, but theoretically, if it's that class of a game other people will have played it in the so for example chris plans never played super metroid of course i've played super metroid I've played you it. have I played it now i played a level no he still hasn't played it now I'm what is what chris plant you know what chris plant hasn't had played that might be actually really good is only noir not or really. resident evil 4 uh, how about I'd we love, just do a I'd month of games you. i haven't played yeah let's that, do the chris plant you should be ashamed of yourself episode <laughs> that's uh, resident evil up. fucking four la noir i mean resident i think i think that'd be that a fascinating okay you know what, L.A. Noir, <laughs> I've been playing it again. Yeah. Man, that is such a smart game. It does not get enough credit for how innovative it was with, like, the way it strips away mechanics and, like, makes a lot of stuff, uh, it rethinks a lot of things in a way that makes sense for modern mechanics. is is an incredibly smart game that made some incredibly bad choices along the way. <laughs> um, there's, there is some stuff I want to talk about, uh, that Divinity Original Sin game. I've only put, like, 30 minutes into it, but it seems pretty promising. Maybe I can um, finally talk about Wolf Among Us since sure. the last episode. Oh, when, does, when does 5 come out? Uh, it'll be out this month. I oh, mean. my God. Okay. I haven't played it since episode one, so I got to... Just... Yeah, I got some catching up to do, too. Well, that could be a good That could be a good topic. There'll be stuff. Let's let's not worry about We're it. We're halfway sure. there. Oh, there'll be... And there'll be, like, a spin tires somewhere in there. Sure. A spin not? tires equivalent. Should we have talked about spin tires? Uh, uh, um... Maybe. So we're the besties. You can email us besties at polygon dot com. Um, we have a lot more content on the website, uh, videos and uh, blog posts. <laughs> Got everything. If you wanted more about E three, check out our best of E three video. Just type in best of E three polygon. I mentioned E three best of E three. It'll come up. It'll, you'll see it. And uh, there's a lot more there. So please go to polygon dot com. Click on everything. Um, follow us on Twitter. Give us a review or a subscription in iTunes. We really appreciate that uh, if you can. And uh, make sure you join us again next month for the besties. Because should the world's best friends pick the world's best games? <laughs>